Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you that these online resources are never meant to be a substitute for God's good plan for you to be present, connected, and serving in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you live in the West Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we encourage you to come check out one of our Sunday services. Now, as you prepare your heart to receive God's word, we pray that his spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Uh, I hope Church Toronto West, this has been a watchful week and a prayerful week. Last Sunday, we had one of the largest, most vibrant prayer meetings ever in our church. This past week, I've heard stories of people being transformed through a week of fasting and prayer. Friends talking about the sins that God has revealed, the areas in which God shows us that we're not hungering for him. It's a week where we were telling our church to say, hey, would you be watchful for what God does? Watchful, keeping your eyes open. And boy, oh boy, God opened our eyes in a distinct way for us on Friday. Life is fragile. The battle is real. Um, in one of the encouragement notes that went to the matters this past uh, weekend, the note started with, the enemy hates a church united in prayer. But also, let's remember this, he's also powerless against a church united in prayer and grounded in the head who's Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, one of the pillars at our church is the pillar of unceasing prayer. It's right there. And the scripture reference there comes right from Ephesians chapter 6. I'm just going to read it briefly for you. Verse 16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And here comes the prayer part. Praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Our pillar to pray comes in the context of spiritual warfare, of battle, the call to stand firm amidst the schemes of the devil. John Piper has this great quote. He says, until we know that life is war, we will not know what prayer is for. I'll say that again. Until we know that life is war, we will not know what prayer is for. It highlights the battle that we face in a realm we do not see. A battle against the cosmic powers uh, over this present darkness. A battle to stand firm, to stand strong on the word of God. Uh, the battle to trust in God with a shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. A battle to keep wielding the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The battle to cling to him amidst hardship. The battle to stand firm. Uh, have you ever had moments in your life that are particularly tough? Where you feel like maybe the wind got completely knocked out of you. Like, at your very core, your very being, and your very breath is just heavy. 
Maybe you're going through that today. God tells us that in those moments, there's something really unique that is happening in your soul in that moment. See, the Hebrew idea of the, of, of the soul is so closely tied to the Hebrew words for breath and the Hebrew word for wind. Your, your soul is your full living being that was breathed into you by the breath of God. And in tough moments, your breath is heavy. You're deflated. The wind is knocked out of you. Maybe you feel it, like just right there. You just, you feel the sink. You breathe heavy. Do you ever feel that way? Maybe you're staring down an uncertain economic or political climate, and there's a soul unrest, a soul restlessness. Maybe you're staring down an uncertain medical condition and there's a soul anxiety, a soul fearfulness, a soul nervousness. But what if things could be different? What if we could have a deep, true soul rest, a soul trust, and not just at a surface level, but deep in our bones, deep to our very core, deep to our very breath, down to the very soul how do we get that? That's what we're going to look at in our text today. Uh, to answer those questions, we're going to turn to Psalm 62. And I invite you to turn there right now. Psalm 62, verse 1 to 8. And if you need a Bible, just raise up your hand and one of our ushers will be glad to give that to you. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. As you're turning to Psalm 62, verse 1, I just want to give you a preview of, of the big idea today. The big idea is my soul will trust in God alone. My soul will trust in God alone. That's the title of our message. And today we're going to learn three things. We're, we're going to learn three things. We're going to learn to pledge our trust amidst affliction. We're going to learn to meditate our way back into trust. And we're going to learn to sing out and pray out our trust. We're going to learn to pledge our trust in the midst of afflictions. We're going to learn to meditate our way back into trust. And then we're going to learn how to sing out and pray out our trust. So let's look at our first point. In this passage, we learn to pledge our trust amidst persecution. Okay, let's just read the first two verses of Psalm 62. It reads like this. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. Verse one is a pledge. The psalmist, David, King David, he pledges his trust to God. He says, for God alone, my soul is going to wait in silence. I shall not be greatly shaken. What a resolve. He's saying, I'm just gonna sit and wait right here. Not just my outer body, but deep down, my very soul, down to my very core, down to my very breath, my soul is gonna wait. It's a pledge. And he gives a reason for from him comes my salvation. Why? Because he's a saving God. Some, you may need to hear that today. Sometimes our perception of God is that he's merciless or he's exacting or he says, you save yourself. No, he's a saving God. And, he's, and so he pledges his whole self to this saving God. And then he gives a beautiful visual of what is to come. He says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. 
fortress. Fortresses were places of protection from the enemy. Uh, in, for, a fortress literally means high place. And it's amazing, anytime you see the words rock and fortress together, particularly in the Old Testament, that is intentional because they were often used together to refer to God. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery says, fortified cities were built, if possible, high on a cliff or a mountain with the rock providing an unshakable foundation and an impenetrable defense. So it's rock, like cliff rock, and then fortress on top. If you want to see a modern-day example, take a look at the screen. This is a picture of the Konigstein Fortress, probably butchering the pronunciation. It's a fortress in Germany. Uh, it sits atop this massive rock plateau. The rock face elevates the fortress 800 feet. That's 80 floors high. The walls of the fortress themselves extend up to 140 feet high. They, they, they are 14 floors high. And just imagine you are the attacking enemy force at the bottom, and you just have to attack that fortress with spears and swords. It, it's hopeless. And amazingly, this fortress has stood for 800 years, or perhaps even longer. The psalmist, when he says, my soul waits on God, my soul trusts in God, because you know who God is? He's that. That's who he is. And if that's who he is, I shall never be shaken. I shall never be moved. Uh, that's other translations, that's what they say. I shall not be moved. Ain't nothing shaking me if I'm in that fortress, right? I mean, in, even during David's time, the fortresses uh, that were found were found to have 15-foot thick walls. I can't even imagine. Imagine making a wall 15-foot thick. Th uh, feet thick. I shall never be shaken. That's the strength he's got. That's the pledge he's got. He says, if I got a fortress like that, I don't need another fortress. I will never be shaken. I trust in God alone. My soul will trust in God alone. That's his pledge. My soul will trust in God alone. And it's beautifully inspirational. But here's an honest confession. I didn't wake up this morning with a pledge like that. And if you're anything like me, that pledge is not automatic. Most days I don't think like that. It doesn't usually describe us. We don't have a quiet strength under fire. If anything, I groan and grumble. If anything, I see the obstacles in my life as the biggest threats ever. I don't picture a fortress. I may picture a straw hut. I don't have that. I don't always picture God as this mighty fortress. Even when life is calm and there aren't massive waves of suffering and affliction, I forget who he is. So I don't have the same pledge. Is that your life too? But that's not all. Here's the other problem with us sinful humans. Not only do we, not, do we fail to see God as the rock, not only do we fail to picture him as the fortress, we often fail to see that he's the only rock. In other words, we turn to other rocks. James Boyce on the screen, he puts this so well. This is what he says. He said, our problem is not that we don't trust God, at least in some sense. We have to do that to be Christians. To become a Christian, you have to trust God in the matter of salvation at the least. It's rather we do not trust God only, meaning that we always want to add in something else to trust as well. 
Christians in our day are far more inclined to trust the world's tools and mechanisms than to trust Jesus Christ wholly. For many of today's believers, Jesus really is not sufficient for all things, regardless of what they may profess publicly. Do you see in the verse in Psalm 62, the first three words, for God alone. Sometimes we trust in God, but we don't trust in God alone. Deep down inside, we say say to God, Jesus, you're really not sufficient. But here's the question for our hearts. Is Jesus big enough to be your only rock? It's big enough for you to, to, for us to say, for God alone, my soul waits. My soul will trust in God alone. To refuse to say, by the way, my soul will trust in God plus blank. Does that make sense? My soul will trust in God plus blank. Oh, yeah, blank. Yes, I trust in God, but I also, I'm diversifying my portfolio a little bit. You know, what if God doesn't come through? I'll put my trust in some other thing. But we belittle our God when we say that. We belittle God when we say, my soul will trust in God plus my job. God's belittled when we say, my job is more than a gift from God. It's going to deliver me the life that my heart truly hopes for. Your job is fine as a gift, but it's awful as a rock. Does that make sense? God will not have it when we say, my soul will put my trust in God plus modern medicine. God, see, God is glorified when we say, I trust God and I'm thankful for his gift of modern day medicine. I believe he'll use it, but God ultimately is sufficient. But God is belittled when we say, modern medicine, I really need you to come through for me. Otherwise, I'm done for. Yes, I know that God's in control, but let's be honest. If the doctors have no hope, then I got no hope. Modern medicine, you are my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. May we never say that. If we're honest, God isn't our only rock. We put our trust in other rocks. But here's a hard truth for us today. You cannot build your house on two rocks at once. It does not work. God alone must be your rock. I love this quote from John Trapp. It reads this. They trust not God at all who trust not him alone. They trust not God at all who trust not him alone. In other words, if you're not trusting God alone, you're not trusting him at all. Why? Because when we say, my soul will trust in God plus blank, job, financial investments, modern medicine, alternative medicine, you're saying, God, you're not big enough. You're not strong enough to really uphold me. I can't trust you fully. God, you're not sufficient. You know, if I was playing golf with Tiger Woods and, I, and, and we were in a, in a party together and the choice was, you know, I take a shot or, and he takes a shot and we get to choose whoever shot is better. And if I said, you know what, I want to make sure that we keep playing golf that way. Because I don't really, I don't know if I, I mean, I know you're good, Tiger Woods, but like just in case you shank something, like I'll take a second shot too, and then we'll take whoever shot is better. If you trust both his shots and your shots, you're not really trusting him. Because if I was Tiger Woods, I would look at that and say, what are you doing? (laughs) Do you know who I am? Don't hedge the bet. Don't bank on something else. Bank on me. If this is in your life right now, forgetting how great a rock he is, turning to other rocks, today is the day you can turn in repentance to say, I'm not going to build my house on other rocks. Today is the day you can make a pledge. My soul will trust in God alone. Now, you may be hearing this and thinking, but yeah, okay, I get it. I know I have to pledge my trust, but it's not that easy. 
I don't know, preacher man, if you understand how hard my life is right now. I feel like I'm on the mat, just getting punched down by all those around me. Uh, But what makes this psalm so amazing is that King David is pledging his trust while he's on the mat getting punched down too. Uh, Look at verse three. Verse three reads this. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Uh, King David lets us in on what he's dealing with. Uh, The first thing he says, look at verse three. He describes that he's attacked and battered. Do you see those words? Vivid. He's being attacked and battered. Uh, And this imagery he gives is this leaning wall, this tottering fence. We have a leaning wall uh, in, the, in our backyard, and I'm pretty sure if Ben leans on it, it'll fall over. It's the complete opposite picture of a fortress with 15-foot walls. Derek Kidner, a Psalms commentator, uh, he observes this. He says, it's on the screen, evil, being ruthlessly competitive, is attracted to weakness to give a last push to whatever is leaning or tottering. That, that's what David is feeling there. He's like, I'm not a fortress. I'm a leaning wall. And there's those who are attacking and battering me. Here's the question. Are you battered today? Are you perhaps in a low position and you feel like those in a high position are leaning on you, are battering you? Do you feel taken advantage of by people in positions of trust and power? That's David's world right now. And yet somehow a pledge. My soul will trust in God alone. Amazing. Look at verse 4. He continues. He reports that there are people who want to thrust him down. Thrust him down. Uh, Thrust him down means to shame someone's reputation, to strip one of status and honor and dignity, especially one of high reputation and status. He describes that they delight in bringing him down. Yeah, let's bring this guy down. Derek Kidner again, he says, well, not only is evil attracted to to weakness, evil is also attracted to strength. The target of its envy and duplicity to topple him from his height. Question, are you thrust down today? Are you in a high position, but feel like people are just trying to thrust you down? Are you being targeted for your high position? That's David's world right now. And yet somehow a pledge again, my soul will trust in God alone. By the way, just a little teaching moment. One thing this text teaches us is that sin pervades both the powerful and the powerless. Sin pervades both the more powerful and the less powerful. Because the more powerful can sinfully attack and batter. And the less powerful can sinfully thrust people down. By the way, that's so different from the world's version of morality. The world tends to characterize the less powerful as oppressed, virtuous heroes, while the more powerful are characterized as the oppressive, wicked villains. But God's word says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You You can be in the low position and sinfully thrust down. You can be in the high position and sinfully attack and batter. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor, through, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. And finally, do you want a picture? Do you want a picture of the heart problem we have? Take a look at verse four. This is what David says. They take pleasure in falsehood. 
They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. The sinful heart in all of us takes pleasure in falsehood. Our flesh takes delight in lies. What's the falsehood? What's the duplicity? Well, it's as simple as this. It's being two-faced. Blessing with the mouth, but cursing from the heart. If you have a smile on the outside and you say flowery, flowering words to someone's face, but in private you think, ah, what an idiot, that guy's awful. That's a problem. I once heard flattery is saying something in in front of someone's face that you would never say behind their back. And gossip is saying something behind their back that you'd never say in front of their face. Do you you detect flattery and gossip in your life? Stop immediately. This is a reflection for me. I need this. When we bless with our mouth, what we curse inwardly, we take pleasure in falsehood, not pleasure in the God of truth. It's a lack of integrity because, and, and the pain inflicted is so searing because you may, be, you may be sitting here and that's God's word for you. I gotta, I gotta stop. I gotta close that integrity gap between my heart and my lips. But for some of you, perhaps you've been pierced by this. Have you been pierced by flattery? Uh, on the screen, Psalm 55 details what this was like in one of his friendships. And I remember this, this text jumped out to me with, with so much more vivid realism. He says, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. Then he says this, his speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. What an image. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. If you've ever experienced this, I'm so sorry. It is deeply, deeply painful. That's David's world right now. He's attacked. He's battered. He's thrust down. He's cursed. He's pierced. And he doesn't know when it's going to end. That's why he says, how long, oh Lord, how long? And it's amidst this persecution that he pledges his trust. My soul will trust in God alone. The first thing we learn is that we can pledge our trust amidst affliction. But this is still puzzling to me. Because when you read it, you just, I still have the question, how does he do that? Like when he wakes up in the morning and all he sees is attack, battery, thrust down, cursed. How does he get to the place of faith-filled, confident pledging? Like does he employ positive thinking? Does he have a mantra? Does he have sticky notes on his mirror? Like, how does this work? Do, do, do you just, does he wake himself up and just psych himself up into that pledge? Is that how you're supposed to do it? Are you just supposed to wake up and then psych yourself up? You just like white knuckle and you grit your teeth and you go, you go to the bathroom, you splash water on your face and you, all right, trust God, let's go. Is that how it works? David the psalmist has another way. And this leads to our second point. Our second point is that we learn in this text to meditate our way back into trust. To meditate our way back into trust. Look at verse five. It reads, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. You may be thinking, you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, I get it. He said this already. This is just a repeat of verse one and two. But take a moment. Can you just do some silent Bible study with me for a bit? Read verse five five and six on your own really quick. Now read verse one and two and compare it. 
when you read this, you may think, oh, that's just the same verses, verse one to two. He's just repeating himself verbatim, but he's not. Because verse one, if you look at it, is, act, is a pledge. But verse five to six is, is the biblical act of meditation. Take a look. Verse one's a declaration. Do you see that? My soul waits. He's confidently pledging. I'm trusting, I'm waiting, I'm resting on God alone. It's a descriptive statement. It's a pledge. But verse five, it's meditation. He's talking to his soul. He says, oh, my soul, rest in God alone. He's desperately seeking, soul, would you trust God? Soul, wait. Soul, rest in God alone. It's amazing. The psalmist is talking to his own soul in the presence of God. That's biblical meditation. Talking to and directing your soul in the presence of God. And this is how J.I. Packer defines it. He says, meditation is a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. It is indeed often a matter of arguing with oneself, reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear apprehension of God's power and grace. Do you know that the, the phrase, oh my soul, it appears seven times, seven different verses, uh, uh, psalms in the Bible. We read one today in our call to worship, Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's talking to himself. I love biblical meditation. I love biblical meditation for a few reasons. The first reason is that it is so applicable. Did you know you can start today? You can be alone in your car, alone in the shower, on your bed, and you just simply start with soul. Andrew's soul, if you're honest, you're really restless about blank. Andrew's soul, wait in silence for God alone. Your hope is from him. It can sound like Psalm 42 on the screen. Andrew's soul, why are you so cast down and in turmoil? Hope in God. You're going to praise him again. I know you're cast down and in turmoil, so hope in God. It can sound like Psalm 103. Soul, would you bless the Lord? And don't forget all he's done for you. You tend to be forgetful that he did this and that in your life. Did you know that you can start applying and, and meditating all oh, my soul meditations today? And it is remarkably effective because you see it in God's word. It's remarkably effective to grab your soul and say, hey, Caitlin's soul, Nicole's soul, Gio's soul, would you believe in God? Would you hope in God? Why are you cast down? Don't be cast down. It's beautifully applicable because here's the, here's the thing. We're not always there immediately. The second thing I love about biblical meditation is that it is so real. Man, David's life is tough. And your life may be tough right now. And you may think, I'm not tough enough to just grit my teeth and ring the bell, ring the bell. My soul trusts in God alone. Woohoo! Yes, my soul trusts in God alone. I'm not there yet. You may feel like I'm not tough enough yet. It feels too high. But here's what James Boyce says. So good. He says on the screen, this man's profession of utter resignation, my soul waits, is perhaps too high for us. But he can make his self-exhortation, oh, my soul, wait, our own. We might not feel strong enough to honestly ring the bell and declare, my soul trusts in God alone. I'm on cloud nine. I am full of faith. But you can biblically simply say, I'm not there yet, but soul, would you get there? 
Saul, would you rest in God alone? Saul, I know you're cast down. That's why I'm saying Psalm 42, Psalm 43, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Saul, I know you're cast down, but come on, hope in him, hope in him. You're gonna praise him again one day. And amazingly enough, that process makes you strong. That's what happens when you meditate on great salvation truths. If you have never meditated with oh my soul language, talking to your soul in the presence of God, do it. It'll change your life. It's so much better, by the way, of the secular versions of meditation where you just sit there and you empty up. You don't sit there and empty up. You sit there and you direct your soul. And here's the last thing about biblical meditation. Biblical meditation, you're not meditating on nothing, but you're not even meditating on abstract truth. You meditate on a person. You see, the rock and fortress here, they aren't just neat illustrations. For the Christian today, the rock and fortress is a person. Did you know that the rock has a name? The fortress has a name. Salvation has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. Our rock has a name. Acts 4.11 says, This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's the one who brings structure and stability to his people. He's the cornerstone rock. Our salvation has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. See, salvation isn't just some abstract concept. It's a person, Jesus. Again, that verse continues. It says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the one on whom we're meditating on. And so when we meditate on Psalm 62, the beautiful thing is we can put Jesus Christ's name into the verse. So when we meditate, we say, Saul, Andrew Saul, on Christ alone, wait in silence, for my hope is from Christ. Christ is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On Christ rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is Christ. Because think about how does a refuge and a fortress protect you? It takes the blows for you, right? You're covered by the fortress. You're safe in the fortress. You're safe in the refuge. But that's what Jesus' blood does for you. He takes the wrath and the penalty of sin so that you don't have to take it. It's not just a metaphor. It's a person. He's our rock and our salvation, our fortress. Our our text teaches us to pledge our trust amidst persecution. Our text teaches us to meditate our way back into trust. And one final thing, our text teaches us, number three, to sing and pray out our trust. To sing out and pray out our trust. Take a look at verse seven with me. Verse seven says, On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Look at verse seven. It looks so similar to the previous verses, but, but I guarantee you, it's different. See, in verse one, it's an untested pledge. His faith hasn't been tested yet. In verse five, the word salvation and glory and refuge and rock, it's a meditation. He's saying, soul, come on, hope in God, hope in God, hope in God. But right now in verse 7, do you know what it is? It's a worship song. 
(laughs) At this point, the psalmist is exploding in praise. He's singing out his trust. Do you see that? He starts to sing an anthem. And because of in Christ, it's our anthem true. And what is this anthem? It's on God rests my salvation and my glory. I love those first two verses. On God. On God rests my salvation and my glory. On nothing else. On you, God. I just, it's so focused on God. On you rests my salvation. And then he brings more language to that. The psalmist says, he's my, he's not just my rock. He's my mighty rock. We sing songs like, oh, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's what he's doing. He's saying, that's you, God. You're my mighty rock. And he's not just saying that. I love the word rest. Do you see the word rest in verse 7? The psalmist is saying, I'm resting on him. I'm standing on him. He's the mighty rock, and I'm going to plant my feet. I'm going to stand on him. We sing in Christ alone, and that's what that whole song is about. At the end, it says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I stand. He's worshiping. He's singing out his trust. Because you can go from pledge to suffering to having to meditate your way to get back to trust. But when you keep doing that, you'll get to singing out your trust. And we're going we're gonna to sing out our trust soon. But there's one more thing. Because he's not just singing out his trust. He's praying out his trust. Take a look at verse 8 with me. It's our last verse. Verse 8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I love the movement in this verse. He's not talking to God at this point. He's not even talking to his soul. He turns and talks to the congregation. And he says, trust in him at all times, O people. That's what the church can do, by the way. Through your pain, as you pledge your trust and meditate your way back into trust and you sing your trust, then you can start turning to one another and saying, would you pray your trust? Would you put your trust in him? Oh, people. Then he says this. I love this image. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Would you pour out your heart before God? Because he can be absolutely trusted. Some of you are sitting here today and you're utterly overwhelmed with the challenges of life. And you feel like the pressure is building up more and more. It's up to your eyeballs. Would you pour out your heart to God in prayer? Maybe you're sitting there and you're just brimming with emotion. It's, it's right up here. Would you pour out your heart to God in prayer? You feel like you need to hold it all in. And you can't, would you pour out your heart to God? You feel like you can't keep it together. You can't keep it in. Would you pour your heart out to God in prayer? I just love this one commentator. He says, your deepest and most private thoughts and feelings are safe with God. Do you know that your heart poor is safe with God? Do you know that your tears are safe in God's hands? Because as our eyes pour out our tears, our hearts and souls can pour out our prayers. And God loves it. Earlier, we looked at Psalm 42. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 42. He says, my tears have been my food day and night, but I pour out my soul. Tears have been my food day and night. Perhaps you've woken up um, to a tear-stained pillow. Perhaps you've used up the whole box of tissues. 
You got to know that as you pour out your, as your eyes pour out tears to God, your heart can pour out prayers to God. And do you know what Psalm 56 says about your tears? Psalm 56 says he puts your tears in his bottle. Worship team, you can come on up. You may be hearing all this and you may be thinking, why is this so? How is this possible? Do you know why you can pour your heart out to God? This is the main reason. It's not because God's a therapeutic God. It's not because God is just cuddly and wants to hug you. God is holy. Wait, he's holy. How can we approach him? Do you know why you can pour your heart out to him? Here's the answer. Because Jesus poured himself out for you. Would you cast your mind to the Last Supper? Because Jesus points to the cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Would you cast your mind to Gethsemane? where Jesus poured out his heart. But in the end, the cup of God's wrath was poured out on him on the cross so that it would never have to be poured out on us. Would you cast your mind to Calvary and to the cross where Jesus poured out his heart before God, but God saw our sin on him and rejected his prayer so that when we pour out our hearts to God, God sees Christ's perfection on us and will never be rejected. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And instead of rejection, we get the attentive, leaned-in ear of God, the Father, our Father, as adopted children. In fact, Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit reminds us, bears witness with our spirit, that we're children of God. And that means in the moments of our greatest suffering, in the moments of our greatest affliction, Romans 5 tells us that God's love is poured out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. You want to know why you can pour out? Because Jesus was poured out for you first. Pour out your heart to God. His blood was poured out for you. Pour out your heart to God. Jesus' heart pour was rejected, so your heart pour will never be rejected. Pour out your heart to God and just watch as God pours out his Holy Spirit right into your heart, into your very soul, even amidst the worst affliction. So let's pray and pour out our hearts to God now. God, it's amazing how great you are. It's amazing that we can pour out to you. And I don't stop and do it enough. I, try, I resort to my own tooling. I resort to my own means, human tools, worldly tools, to solve problems, to dig myself out, to get a sense of soul rest. I think that if the bank account is lined up, I'll get soul rest. I think that if my kids are lined up, I'll get soul rest. I look for all of these things. I, I don't, I, but I don't pour my heart out to you. And Lord, would you forgive us? Would you make us the people who pour our hearts to you? Because that's how we gain trust. That's how we get to the point where we say, my soul will trust in God alone. That's how we get to the point where we say, on God rests my salvation. He is my mighty rock. Our refuge is my God. Trust in him at all times, oh people. Pour out your heart before him. He is a refuge for us. And Lord, I pray it makes us strong. It makes us strong through the worst affliction. Rain, rains came and winds blow, but my house is built on you, God. 
Because it says in your word, we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God, I pray, would you pour out your spirit? Would you pour out your love? And would you bring a hope that is unparalleled, Lord, we ask in your most precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.